Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of La Rouge Rugby Podcast where we talk about real Canadian rugby. Derek, we are all over the place this weekend. We you know we started in Toronto, then we head to Toulouse for the uh, sevens, then we're down in uh, Montevideo for the under 20s. There's just so much going on. How are you able to keep up with it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Obviously, a big, uh, real big sevens tournament um, from uh, the uh, both Canadian teams this weekend. And, you know, uh, everything else happened. The Saracens are into the uh, the Premiership uh, final, which is always delightful to, uh, you know, it feels like we're back at kind of like the rightful place after uh, after a couple of years there. And then, yeah, obviously a big arrows game on Friday night, a little uh, little Friday night lights happening, the sweet cracked ice jerseys. Um, I do still feel like I owe you a significant apology for spilling a Dr. Pepper all over you um, up in the press box prior to the game. Um, At least the jerseys are kind of water resistant, though, but I still feel like I need to apologize. And I also have to apologize to my laptop and all my equipment that got absolutely drenched by that Dr. Pepper that was sitting there for like 25 minutes before I tried to open it. So I don't I still don't know what happened, but. You know, uh, terrible, terrible. Uh, uh, you know, just pay for the uh, Tide Pod, and uh, I'm sure my yeah, wash okay. jersey will be all the better <laughs> in time for next game, which will be on um, this coming Thursday on the 18th. Yeah. But that's getting ahead of myself. Let's focus on the game itself. So, Atlanta, Toronto, you know, Atlanta currently had going into this game a five to one record against the Arrows. The Arrows, for lack of a better term, had uh, pretty much sacked the season off. And the starting lineup, you know, had a few interesting uh, decisions being made, like Brody on the bench. I think a lot of people were surprised to see that. But, uh, you know, obviously with the list of injuries going on, player management was all important. So that gave Will Grant his first start for the club. Similarly, uh, Tyler Wong started as hooker with... um, Ramon Aza on the bench uh, coming in later into the game. It started off uh, kind of what we were thinking. Atlanta getting the jump pretty early on. They get the lead. And even though it's Toronto's ground, it you know everything kept piling up. Penalties against the Arrows kept coming up. And soon enough, we have the Atlanta... Uh, the away party having a 17-0 lead um, by the first hydration break and by the first 30 minutes, they you know still had that advantage. And then came a bit of uh, kicking activity going on because uh, Arrows had it, kicked it to Atlanta, Atlanta kicked it back, and then uh, Shane O'Leary takes the ball, spiral kicks it, and... It's one of the it's one of those kicks where everything just goes right, right when you need it to go. So O'Leary kicks it up, spirals in the air, it hangs tight. He's running forward and it bounces back off an ATL uh number 10. And then it the fullback looks as though he's about to have it, but he accidentally knocks it on right into the hands of Avery Oiterman. The Oiterman Empire is back as he gets his first try of the season at home. And, you know, it just, you know, great to see uh, Oiterman obviously scoring, but, you know, just being in the right place at the right time, getting that ball, getting the momentum back into uh, Toronto, well, back uh, behind Toronto and, you know, first score, that duck's broken. So we then get the... Uh, seven so seven points because O'Leary gets a conversion. So we get to close out the half, and it's uh coming up to 10-17. So within a score of uh the second half, then we have uh Lalani Faleva um getting an intercept, making a run. Unfortunately, the uh speed just isn't there, but the arrow support is uh passing the ball outwards, eventually ends up in the hands of uh, Mitch Richardson, who runs in under the post for uh, the seven-point try. And suddenly, 
the game is all tied up and everything's looking peachy clean you know the you know the arrows aren't out of it and we always say like the first score after half time can really dictate how the match goes uh however atlanta remembered that they were atlanta and they were like right we want to get into the playoffs so we need to start scoring and start scoring quickly and yep around yeah barely few minutes after uh, Richardson scored that try, after the restart, it was another Canadian, uh, but Jack Shaw from Atlanta scoring uh, for ATL. And then three minutes after that, Biddle gets over for the bonus point for Atlanta. So, you know, we've had this kind of thing of like, oh, the arrows fall off after, you know, 60 minutes. And then it's a whitewash until the end. You know, maybe I was uh, 10 minutes late with that estimation because obviously those tries happen in the 50th minute. But then when the 60th minute does roll around and we do get uh, these bench players coming on. So we have Kobe Faust coming on around about the hour mark. Ayaza coming in as well. Uh, and Ross Brody did come in at the 52nd minute mark. But 10 minutes later due to some incredible plays that are just every everything seems to start working again. And like I said, Kobe Faust, one of those players. Um, and, oh, yeah, uh, Tazi is also back from injury. He's off the bench and he's in. Uh, he came in a lot earlier, actually, due to uh, an injury to uh, Noel Reed. So he managed to get a full game without expecting it, pretty much. But his work from Richardson to Tarsi to Faust. Faust gets along on the touchline. He's drawing in the players. And then he offloads to Brody, who is a top try scorer this season. And he gets it under the, over the whitewash. And in so O'Leary steps up for another conversion. And he nails that one as well. And then it goes, uh, it gets worse again. Because Isaac Salmon, who had just come on, gets a yellow card for... A, yeah, and seeing it look like a shoulder charge, and I was thinking, like, Salmon's really lucky not to have a red card. I'd, that was just from my angle. I was um, seeing it from the other side. Were you able to get a good view from the press box for that incident? I, was my view that significantly farther away better than yours? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a yellow. It's a shoulder, shoulder charge. It's a yellow. Yeah, I th- I think the only mitigating factor was the player was already coming down anyway, so it would have been difficult to wrap around anyway. But the referee said 10 minutes in the bin, and uh, Talapusi was able to do a quick penalty to get it over, and suddenly it's a 10-point advantage again. So a player down, it's already past the hour mark. You expect, you know, seen in the past few games, this is where the arrows just lose it but not this time so Mason Flesh made a smart play, he scooped up the loose ball at the breakdown and then it got cycled out eventually ending up in the hands of Deshaun Bowen who earlier in the game had butchered a clear uh, try scoring opportunity but wasn't allowing uh, that to happen again and then he we, he um, takes the ball crosses the touchline, gets under the post, seven-pointer. And then as we finally get into the dying minutes of the game, there is a penalty for the arrows, and there's a choice of do you go for the corner or do you go for the post? And the arrows decided to go for the post, tied up the game. There was still time left on the clock to continue. And to be fair, the arrows did plan uh, to go for that attacking phase. Unfortunately, right at the end... um, uh, Mason Flesh just pushed into touch. The game tied at 34-all for the first tie of the season. And I think it's like, it was mentioned like the sixth tie in MLR history. So, yeah. Not yeah. too many of them. So, not a, not a win, unfortunately, but not a loss as well. Um, lots of positives to take away. Hmm. And, yeah, so... You know the stats of these this game. Do you want to take us away with the uh, the big calls of the night and who uh, put in the most uh, effort and carries and tackles? Uh, sure, I could do that. Um, 
Yeah, well, I think you're forgetting that James Dealey's not on this podcast, bud. Um, even though I, I know you must have got used to listening to him on it. I know, but you keep bringing up things like carries made, tackles made, and I mean uh, that's important. So, I mean, obviously, so this, um, so really, I think kind of a couple stats that really do jump out at me. Um, was definitely the two guys that had their uh, were playing in their fiftieth caps. Um, so you had uh Travis Larson and Lucas Rumball who were. Uh, I thought absolutely incredible. So Larson had 22 tackles. Um, Rumble had 19 and neither one of them missed one. So yeah, um, that's phenomenal. Obviously they were a huge presence in the, uh, you know, in the breakdown as well. Um, Rumble and flesh. um, I thought were great at the breakdown in this game, especially Um, they had that one, the, uh, the one steal, they kind of combined for a little steal. Um, on um the play that um Lolani Falivia had a huge run on and then he um and then that ended up being Richardson's try so that was created off of off um the work in the breakdown from uh, Rumble and Flesh there um so Rumble was you know constantly doing um you know his typical excellent self one of those 19 tackles that he had too um was on uh Nail Saunders at the end of the first half that basically prevented a try um, well, not basically prevented a try. That did prevent a try, right? So um, Rumble, Larson as a whole, and then Larson obviously um, had, a, like, led the team in carry meters, I believe, too. He had 108 um, meters carried. So uh, he just kind of kept racking up the stats. So um, I think, like, when I'm looking at some of the, uh, the arrow stats in this game right now, I'm like, that to me is the one that kind of, those are kind of the ones that stand out the most to me um it's just like the guys in the 50th caps right put in massive performances they both like larson was uh the lead lead led the team on uh the attacking breakdown arrivals rumble in defending breakdown arrivals right so it's like two veteran players guys playing in a milestone game and then they absolutely brought it um in this one which uh i i'm excited which i was excited about yeah so like a couple of the other big stats i think one of those things too that you a player a couple of players that you did mention too um to talatasi tassi he um was back in the lineup unfortunately as you did mention noel reed suffered an injury real early in this game you know so tassi had to come in super early and he was one of the the leaders in the tackles as well he um he was up there with lucas rumble as well as his uh midfield pu- partner uh, in Mitch Richardson was also up there in tackles. Also Richardson also um according to the major league.rugby too was also um the second uh second in the team in uh in um meters with 89. So um Tassie Richardson both getting it done on both sides of the ball. Richardson obviously scored a add to go with all of his tackles. Richardson obviously scored a try, had a ton of meters. And as you kind of mentioned, Tassie had an absolutely highlight real pass in the buildup to uh Brody's try. So they were all all kind of factored in massive games too. I think the other uh one of the other performances in this game too that I thought was really good uh was Mason Flesh. Um, I know that the game kind of ended on a bit of a mistake by flesh, um, you know, as he stepped into touch and, uh, you know, that's, that's unfortunate. You got to know, uh, you got to know where you are on the field, right. You got to know where you are, um, where you are positioned, where your feet are. Right. So it's like that. I would have liked to uh, maybe, you know, see the arrows get a little bit more of a run at um, picking up the win toward the end of the game there. Um, but despite that, like, I don't think that should take away for how good flesh was in this game. I kind of already mentioned his contributions at the breakdown, but he also, he came away with a couple pretty big line out steals in this game too. And, you know, he was, um, I thought he was phenomenal in this game. It's probably one of his best games that he's um, played this year. I think to me, he looks a lot more comfortable at lock um, and maybe that's just like kind of like an arrows personnel thing. If you can get Rumble and O'Neill out on the flanks, it kind of opens up um, Flesh to be just a lock. And I think he's he seems like he's a little bit more suited to be playing in the middle of the field and then kind of let Rumble and um, O'Neill kind of roam around and uh, go where they're needed. But so I think that's kind of been uh, that's kind of been working out so far um those are the guys the guys that stood out to me at least uh from toronto obviously really nice to see oideman get his first try since 2019 
Bowen um, added another try, his first since uh, his hat trick game. Right. So obviously that's great to see. Luani Faliva continues to probably be one of the best players on the team throughout the year, always makes an impact. Um, on the other side of the ball, um, again, Jack Shaw, Matt Heaton both scored a try. Canadians love playing the Toronto Arrows, man. Just absolutely love playing the Toronto Arrows. And even the commentary um, thought that uh, Seth Purdy also scored a try. It ended up being Rowita Biddle, but there was a brief moment where it was like, if you just looked at the game sheet, it would say that three Canadians scored a try. Um, so even, even players that wear the jerseys of Canadian players score tries when they play the Toronto Arrows. Um, so uh, it's uh it's it's kind of interesting um how that's working out. But uh, I don't know. Anybody else, anybody that I missed, Stu, anybody that's uh you know kind of stood out to you or you want to touch on? A couple storylines in this game that we can probably get back to. Yeah, you know, I think uh again, other side of the pitch, I think Matt Heaton continuing to prove his captain capabilities. Um because I know someone, I think it was Brian Ray pointed out, is that uh for the first half of the season. Uh, Heaton was like co-captain and then uh, for the second half of the season he's now been like returned to like the captain role in which the ref approaches him and explains the issues with ATL so you know excellent quality you know and obviously Jack Shaw fantastic as well I think of the Arrows uh, players that uh, were able to play. I mean, the injury list still is pretty long. We still have yeah. Davis, um, Goodall, Malcolm, Thomas still on that injury list and hoping that they uh, recover well and get well soon. Um, but, you know, uh, Tyler Wong, I think he did uh, very well, especially for his first start. And, you know, the scrum... Uh, was kind of good. I will say that the driving mall at the line out is something that will definitely need to be worked on um, yeah. between now and the start of next season, really, because there was multiple instances where the arrows could have scored a try from that, but every single opportunity either resulted in a yeah. penalty to the arrows that they then went for the driving mall again. Or it was a turnover that resulted in a scrum to ATL. So that was very disappointing. Yeah, there was that one moment of the match um, that I believe it was still 17-0 um, at this point. But Nelson hit a really nice 50-22. Um, and it was like a deep 50-22, like maybe like 5 to 10 meters out from the Atlanta line. And it's a it, it is it's the exact situation that you described, right? They had the uh, they had a chance for a line out um, to push a driving mall over. It didn't work the first time. Um, it didn't work the second time, and it didn't work the third time either. Granted, yeah. the reason they had three shots at it, three attempts at it, was that Atlanta was taking penalties. So maybe if they kept taking penalties, you know, maybe you start to maybe one or two more, maybe that would have been penalty try kind of territory for the arrows um but unfortunately it didn't go that way because it ended with a turnover and atlanta got the ball back and were able to clear their lines so like that was obviously a you know that's obviously been kind of an issue i think though that in in knowing though that that moment happened in this game and also the moment too where um as you alluded to earlier deshaun bowen dropped a sure try like a clearest seven point try that he would have scored um but unfortunately he dropped it right and i think you know that stuff like that happening early in the game i think is exactly why i actually really liked this game from the toronto arrows um because it's some of those things that we've talked about there you know all year right there's been a they're one of the lowest try scoring teams in the league and every game they play, they seem to be plagued by a little bit of inability to finish, right? Um, and those two events both happened early in this game with the team kind of already down like 17 nothing. So you're already off to a really bad start. And the thing that I, I do kind of really 
like about this game though is that um and we did a post-match interview with mitch richardson after and he kind of also pointed it out that usually the thing that's been plaguing the toronto arrows is that they have a really good first 60 and then they fall off in the last 20 whereas this game was they had a really bad first 20 and then increasingly got better as the game went on and then had a really nice comeback in the final 20, even though they were also down a man, right? So they they were able to over the one thing, right, that so it's like, as Richardson kind of pointed out, they got in this game, like they got better as the game went on, right? Yeah. Which is, hasn't been a thing that's happened at all this year. And another thing too that, like if you go back and listen to a, a few of our post-match videos um, on a LaRouche Rugby YouTube and on LaRoucheRugby.ca, Right. One of the things that like Rumble has been kind of saying that the team's been doing too is like when somebody makes a mistake, it just everyone it just piles up. When there's a mistake, yeah. it's compounded, errors get compounded, right? It's like, okay, you give up one penalty, but now all of a sudden you give up one penalty, now you've given up three penalties. You knocked you knocked on. Sure, maybe you dropped the ball, you knocked on, but just because you knock on, that doesn't mean you have to give up a penalty in the next scrub. Like things just keep piling on. Um, especially when they get behind. And the great thing about this game, I think, is that they didn't do any of that, right? And it's, you know, they get, sure, they get down 17 nothing early. They maybe fall into some of the things that have plagued them early this year, such as an inability to finish, right, as we've mentioned. And then, but they still battle back. They get a really nice break on that O'Leary um spiral kick that Oideman was able to convert into a try. And then they they clawed back. They had a Richardson try, O'Leary getting some penalties. They tie the game 17-17. And then, oh no, they do the exact same thing. Right. Atlanta comes back and now they Atlanta goes back up by uh what did they go back up by 17 again? Right. 14. Oh, they got up by 14 and then yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. so they get up by 14 again and then they end up so they get up by 14 again, and then Toronto comes back. Atlanta pulls ahead again. So there's a late penalty there. Toronto once again comes back, right? And ultimately, that kind of, you know, they, it, it compounded in, like, one of, like, the better performances or a performance that the team could feel a lot better about because I think I think some of those, those mistakes that we've been talking about all year that have been, still happen in this game, but they – it feels like for the first time all year really battled back and battled through them all and were able to come away um, with the draw with three points in the standings, right? Which, you know, ultimately is a pretty good result. And they, 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 um, we kind of mentioned a handful of players that played really well in this game. Um, they were good at the breakdown. The scrum was good. The line out, especially defending the line out flesh had, like they had their best game at like stealing lineouts and disrupting Atlanta's lineout in this game, or at disrupting an opponent's lineout all season in this game. Um, and Atlanta's got a really good lineout typically, right? So that's you know a bit of a rarity for them to kind of see balls being stolen or um overthrows and stuff happening. Um, so I think like if you're if you're Peter Smith, if you're Lucas Rumball, if you're the Arrows as a whole, I think there's a lot of there's a lot more positivity that you can definitely take from this game um, just based on the fact that, you know, may maybe some of those errors still happened. And yeah, going for, yeah, you want to eliminate those errors. You want, you shouldn't need three shots out of five, a line out five meters out to score. You yeah. should, you know what I mean? Like Deshaun Bowen should not drop that ball. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, um, and I'll stick with Deshaun Bowen, but you know what? you like is that it's like yeah he he dropped that ball he made a mistake but he kept battling and playing through it and scored it and scored what a try which would ultimately lead to the arrows tying the game later right like they all everybody instead of like i'm not sure if you can necessarily call it a complete 80 a complete 80 minute game because the first 20 was pretty bad and they got down 17 nothing real fast but like the fact that they were all able to like kind of stick with it and battle through um not just falling down 17 but also falling down 14 there's two comebacks in this game 
right? Which is something that I'm not sure the arrows have really. That, that's not a thing that the arrows have shown um, at all this season, right? Like, I mean, we saw a few games ago, right, against the Free Jacks, they got down early and like they could never recover. Or the game against Utah, which was pretty even until. Utah got a two possession lead basically. And then they completely fell apart in the end of that game. Right. But this game, they were able to get behind and keep battling and clawed their way back. Not just not once, but twice. Right. And that's, um, you know, that's obviously a lot of uh, positive things and something I think that the team can build on going, um, going forward for the rest of the season as, what they should be doing is continue to try to ruin ruin people's years. Um, didn't really work out this week though because of the draw against Atlanta. So Atlanta got three points because they got the two for the the two for the draw plus the one for the bonus point. And they actually moved up in the standings um, despite the arrows' best efforts there. But um, I'm sure I'm sure a couple teams' years will be ruined still. Yeah. Well, okay. So another talking point is going for the penalty right at the end instead of going for the corner. Now, because I know they did the same thing against Dallas and they went for the corner, and you know Dallas held out to get their first ever victory in MLR. Yeah. So with that knowledge of what had previously happened as well as the failed driving mall from earlier in the game sorry failed driving malls plural yeah i think that considering that information and the fact that they have been on a three uh, game losing streak at home so far this season <laughs> the f- just getting the points, just finishing even, just to say it wasn't a loss, was something that I think the guys needed. And I, so you can argue, yeah, you know, if if the season's a toss up, and you know, you're already focusing on next year, does it? Does this game really matter? Like you can, you know, go for the driving wall, but I think that. I think just having that, um, you know, breaking the losing streak, having something that isn't a loss on your record, I think that's the boost that maybe some of the guys needed. So I think that going for the post is okay. But what are your thoughts on it? So my initial thought when um, that penalty happened was they should kick to the corner. Um. You're you got one win all year. There's there's not really a lot to lose. Um and uh yeah, I, I think you yeah, I think you try it. I think you try to win the game outright. To me though, it's like I rem when the Dallas game happened, we were talking about how it's like I was talking about how like I would much rather have like the group of players that would try to win the game in that situation than the group that would just settle for the tie. Um, when or set set that would just settle for the tie when they were playing the Jackals. Um, there is though, I think, a massive difference in the two situations in that the Dallas Jackal, the penalty in the Dallas Jackal game, that was going to be the last play of the game. There, there was going to be nothing coming back from that. You were deciding if you were going to go for a tie or the win. That was going to be the last play. Whether you kick it or you try to go to the corner, that was going to be the last play of the game. The big difference in this situation to me is that this penalty is with three minutes left. Right? And obviously in rugby, when you score, you get the ball back. So... I think the big difference in the situation to me is I don't think the players are thinking, are looking at the situation and thinking the same way that you are here still. I think they're looking at there. I don't think they're looking at it as like, let's go for a tie. I think they're looking at let's tie the game up, get the ball back and win, Um, which is a completely different situation than the one against Dallas. Um, if there was no time left on the clock when O'Leary had that penalty, I don't think I would like it. Um, I think you try to win. 
Um, I think with three minutes left on the clock, there's enough time to try to win that game. Yeah. Because um, you get the ball back. Unfortunately, they didn't really get the ball back. And uh, they actually ended up having to defend pretty well as um, Atlanta attacked their line, but they held that off. Um, and then a couple Atlanta penalties moved them up the pitch really quickly um, to the point where at the end of the game, they did, they were in an attacking opportunity with a chance to win the game. Unfortunately, um, they ended up going into touch and that ended the game there. But I don't think, I don't think that mindset is necessarily we're playing for a tie. I think their mindset there, which is a big difference from the Dallas game is there's time left. We can tie this game, get the ball back and go down and win. Didn't work out that way, but I think that's more of what they're going for here. Um, Hmm. I still say years, like as many weeks as it's been later, I think they made the right call against Dallas, even though they lost. Cause I think like you, you got to try to win the game. Um, I think, they're still trying to win this game. I don't think they're trying to settle for a tie. Well, that's the, I'm not saying they're settling for the tie. I said they're not losing. That's settling Be- for a tie. You're trying to win. You're not you don't you're not trying to not lose. You're trying to win, right? I think they're trying yeah. to win the game. Yeah, but I think if you're losing like what was that? 7 games in a row at that point, then anything but win. a lot it's it's the whole thing from uh, Shawzy and Letterkenny is like, uh, you may not. Some people don't love to win, but some people hate to lose, and definitely yeah. losing at home for three games of the season, including the worst defeat in MLR history. Sometimes you just need something else, and yeah, as in I. So it can be both. As in, like, look, we kick for we kick for post, we go again, and if we don't, if we're not fortunate enough, then you know, we still have the draw. Yeah, but so, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying, saying though, is that that's a completely yeah. different situation than the Dallas game. The yeah, Dallas game but that's is- the thing. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a Dallas game. I'm saying yeah. as well is that the history from the Dallas game is like, okay, it didn't work then, th- but the situation was different. It's However, different. during this same game, you had had multiple chances of the yeah. driving line out five meters away, and it didn't work. So... Yeah, that, stick stick with what you know, yeah you know your kicker has already scored two what another infield kick set up the first try so you know put the trust in the kicker and then put trust in yourselves to go again yeah um I think Mitch Richardson had a had a the, the uh a little bit of a Shorzy esque quote in the post match too with he he was kind of saying it's like you're just the he, he did mention that the uh, the team is just sick of losing at this point yeah um. Right. And it's like it, it, you know, it, it, it shows it's like in like their, their mannerisms and stuff after the game. It's like they're not, they're not happy with, you know, the way that the, the season's gone and everything. Right. And it's nobody likes, nobody likes to lose. I don't think, uh, um, it's, you know, it's obviously, it's a step in the right direction. Those probably the most positive game that they've, they've played. Right. There's a lot you can, mm. there's a lot of positives to take away from that. Like even like you said, like those mistakes. Um, that you're even talking about, like the the, the lineouts and stuff that they had tried to like push over, and it's like that was still when the game was seventeen nothing, right? And it's like they hit the the first half hydration break and completely turned their game around, um, mm-hmm. and were able to uh you know pull in like a complete performance and claw back and you know win or draw a game that twenty minutes into the game looked like they were not in at all. Mm. So I, I think that's kind of the big positive for it. Um, I, yeah, like I, I think. So I mean, I still think I, I maybe would have tried to just go win the game out right there. I maybe still would have tried to kick to the corner. Um, but I understand the idea that there's there's time left on the clock to yeah. get the ball back and go and try to win the game again. And they got close to it. They got close to it. Um so so I don't I don't mind that. In the end that is uh that's all she wrote. That was uh the first I think it's the first draw of MLR this season. And you know you know we've said as well like the cracked ice jerseys I think with the black shorts as well works fantastically. 
And, you know, those have been bid on. The bids, unfortunately, now closed. But you can see the hours again this Thursday will where they will be taking on Old Glory DC. And if everything has worked out well, then you are listening to this the morning of that game. So we'll know what the lineup is and hopefully we'll be getting that Arrows home win for the first time this season. Anyway, let's move on to the other games of MLR round 13. Uh, So because uh, the Arrows and ATL were the first game of the round, the next one is NOLA versus San Diego. And... You know, no surprise, San Diego dominating the West, which is already a very tough conference this year. NOLA, you know, they put in a bit of fight, but eventually San Diego just ran away with it. The final score, NOLA 12, San Diego 26. How good is having Michael Smith back in this league? Oh, so good. And except for the part where San Diego have yet to play the Arrows, so... Oh, that's that means what, oh. the arrows have to play. Yeah, that that goes back to my Canadians always score against Toronto. Mike Smith might have a hat trick in that game. I don't know the way he's playing right now. Um, yeah, he he's returned from medical school and just hit the ground absolutely running. Um, he scored a try in this game. San Diego gave uh gave him their player the match award. Um, he's got two tries in two games or back to back games now. Um, and I think he's only started two of them. It's his third game, right? Yeah. I think he only started two of them. Yeah, phenomenal from uh, Mike Smith. Yeah. And then we go to the first of our all-Western affairs, as it is Dallas versus Utah. And, you know, Utah um, got off the blocks incredibly well, had the bonus point by – the try bonus point, sorry, by the 30th-minute mark. And then kind of, you know, did the classic thing of, oh, you know, we're leading. We've got such a strong lead. We can relax a bit. We can, you know, drop our focus. And then Dallas came back into the game. However, Utah were able to hold out and deny Dallas a uh, losing bonus point. Final score, Dallas 26, Utah 36. Emerson Pryor on uh, McLeod's first try, too. Yeah. You know, seeing a couple of Canadians uh, around bouncing around the league and uh, getting some stuff. You know, still waiting on that all-Canadian front row, Dallas. You need to get on it, and then you can get the second win of the season. I mean, it's just science. The more Canadians you have playing at the same time, the more likely you are to win. That's just how it is. Exactly. Don't look at Toronto. Look at New England. Yeah, Toronto's the exception to the rule. So it applies to every other, all the American teams it applies to. Anyway, the second all-Western affair was Houston versus Seattle. This is basically the battle for who is going to host the Western Eliminator. And, you know, a very uh, tight affair to begin with, but then Seattle just took the reins and went away with it. You know, uh, disappointing, I think, for Houston not to have had more of an impact, especially on the... uh, uh, scoreboard because that is what matters at the end of the game. They'll be kicking themselves. Uh, the final score: Houston seventeen, Seattle thirty-four. Now we go from all west to all east as DC hosted New England, and you know New England they have yet to lose to an Eastern Conference team this season, and that just was continuing. Uh, you know, setting up a big marker by halftime. Uh, DC was able to get a few scores on the board, but New England were already too far away to be caught. Final score, DC 24, New England 42. And now we have, uh, you know, Chicago versus New York. And on paper, after everything that's been happening this season, Chicago, look, they would be dominated. They'd be, you know, left in the dust. I mean, we've had... uh, Two games already this weekend that had had a t- more than a 20-point differential. And then we have Chicago decided just to put everything on the line, and they were storming away. And then within the final few minutes, New York were able to get two tries and get it converted. Chicago 20, New York 21, the final play of the game, a kick within range between the posts, and uh, Luke Carty steps up. He had been 100% at this point. He kicks the ball. The crowd starts cheering, and the ball hits the upright. Back, bounces down into New York hands. They kick it 
dead the final score. Chicago 20, New York 21. And with that heartbreaking loss, Chicago become the second team to be eliminated from the playoffs after Dallas. Did you... I, I saw the final 15 minutes of that game and it oh, was wild. so it, it was like great for a neutral to yeah. just oh. be like supporting along. But if you're a Hounds fan, oh my word. I was pain, misery. I was, yeah. Don't I was come just, close to how you feel after this. Goodness. I was just cheering for chaos in the Eastern Conference. Um, if if New York loses this game and then you got like Atlanta moving up with a draw, um, yeah, this I was just cheering for chaos in the Eastern Conference really at this point. Um, I think though the other thing, like New York wins this game, dude. We have got to talk about Andrew Coe and how just he's the best player in MLR right now. Um, he is on absolute fire. Um, it, he's got. So in his last seven games, he's got seven tries. The only game he hasn't scored a try in is the game that they were shut out by New England, the eight nothing loss to New England. Um, yeah. He got he got two the week after against Nola to make up for it. Um, he has in the last seven games he has gone from having no tries to being fifth in Major League Rugby in tries. Um, he has significantly closed the gap on Hatting. On on Augsburger, on Balakenya. Um, he has j- just been absolutely tearing defenses apart over the past um seven games. And yeah, seven he's he's at like I mean, he's obviously played he had a bit of a slow start to the season, but um ever since the game against Atlanta after their bye week, he has yeah, he's come out and just an absolute torrent try pace and New York too. And like the try in this game, um, New York's really using that, like having him swing off the wing off set piece plays, whether that's a line out or a scrum. And like, I'm not sure when teams are going to start picking up on this, but New York is scoring a lot with this play. Um, and I mean, I'm sure they are picking up on it, um, but it's, you know, and probably a lot easier said than done to actually stop it. But uh, Andrew Coe is having a lot of success just uh, kind of running through the middle of the field off uh, off set piece plays, man. And uh, yeah, just well, it's been sp- absolutely unreal this year. To be honest, speaking of other Canadians in this game, um, it's good to see Quinn Nawadi back after what seemed to be like a spell on the injury list. Yeah. And uh, Lindsay Stevens. Uh, came in for Mason Coe at around like the 50 minute mark and, you know, showed like proper leadership qualities in the forwards pack. Um, you know, great to see. And yeah, as in, you know, congratulations to uh, New York on getting the win. But <sighs> your heart, your heart aches for Chicago. This, this was a game that everyone, uh, most people have written off prior to it starting, and then they were leading for a huge portion of it. And yeah, uh, that's that's definitely going to be a game, especially with the uh, the kick at the end that Chicago can look at. Be like, we should have won this game. Um, Toronto has had a lot of those games, as we have discussed on the podcast. Unfortunately, should have won um, is not the same as did win. Um, should have won, could have won doesn't really matter unless you do actually win um right so it's uh it's tough but i mean that's uh that's one of those things that uh i guess chicago's gonna have to learn which something i didn't really think they would have to learn considering um what the bulk of their roster was made out of but um yeah it is it is what it is i guess yeah Anyway, we move from MLR onto the World 7 series as both the men's and women's was taking part in Toulouse for the French Sevens. For the women, this was the final leg of the journey. For the men's, the penultimate one. Uh, so let's start with the women. Uh, Canada started out in the pool stages with a 1926 loss to the USA, followed by a 35 7 win over Poland, and then concluded with a 28 7 loss to New Zealand. In the ninth place playoff, uh, they won their first game, a 26-17 win over Brazil, before a final close loss, 14-15 to Spain. 
So they finished 10th in Toulouse, and overall for the entire season, they finished 9th. Now, on to the men. They were also had New Zealand in their pool stages, and that was a 29-12 loss to Canada. Uh, but they followed up with a 26-0 win over Uruguay, and then did another with a 33-7 win over Kenya. And so they got into the cup quarterfinals for the first time this season. And uh, the weekend that uh, knockout round started well with a 12-10 win over Australia. And then uh, reality, unfortunately, settled in as uh, they lost to Argentina 33-5 before concluding for the bronze medal match with a 28-12 loss to host France. So they finished fourth, which is the highest that they have finished for the entire season up to this point. So I uh, Yeah, excellent timing, guys. If you could have uh, just done that a little bit earlier, maybe you wouldn't no, be in I the mean... elimination playoff next week in London. Yeah, no but... Great momentum builder going into, obviously, they have to play... Uh... They got um, who who else is in this? Is Kenya, Kenya, Uruguay, Kenya, and Uruguay. So these are teams that they have already beaten yeah. this weekend. But I uh, let me put this into context: that Canada scored fifteen points um in the tape in, in the overall tables in Toulouse. So they and they scored fifteen points over. If I'm just getting my calculations correct. Yeah, the last seven rounds of competition, they have scored 15 points. <laughs> so, well, yeah, <laughs> there you go. So, um, yeah, it. I mean, if you obviously, you know, with the format change of the seven series, um, as you said, they have to play in like a promotion relegation round next week. So, you obviously have to perform huge next week because that's going to have a massive impact. You want to stay up in the series. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, man, really no better time to get a nice confidence building round than this week, right? It's like everybody was clicking. The attack looked good. Defense looked good. Um, yeah, man, a huge win over Australia, right? And yeah, you, you finished fourth, but like, you know, that's uh that's phenomenal, right? That's you know, significant. It's your best performance of the year, um, at the time where you need your best performance of the year. So um hopefully they it's a lot of momentum that they can keep building into next weekend. Well, you know, wishing the guys all the best in that competition and you know, hopefully it ends up with Canada being the twelfth team next season. Uh, but they are currently, as I said, 14th and in that playoff round. More details will be announced on the World Rugby 7 Series website. And speaking of Rugby Canada, we uh now moving back into 15s, kind of, uh, as we talk about the U20s men's results, as we were interviewing Corey Hector last week. We now have the results from those fixtures. Unfortunately, uh, both losses, first of all, was a 21-16 loss to Uruguay under-20s men and a 21-9 loss to Spain's under-20s men as well. But, you know, valuable experience that these guys can pick up. As um, Corey mentioned, the under-20s will be facing off against the Arrow Senior Academy before they take part in that series against the USA to qualify for the uh, under-20s World Trophy. And news that has come out today on Monday, uh, May 15th, is that Stephen Abood has been appointed as High Performance Director for Rugby Canada, a position that has not been occupied since 2015. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Abood had a 26-year career with Irish Rugby Football Union, uh, serving in many roles and helped include create the IRFU's academy program, as well as designing coaching courses and mentoring coaches at all levels. And he's been spending the last seven or so years um, 
with the Italian Rugby Federation, where you served as head of technical direction for the development of players and coaches. And he has been overseeing the establishment of Italy's robust U17 to U20 structures and academies. And if anyone has been following with the under 26 nations for the past few years, you'll see how far in leaps and bounds that the Italy under 20 squad has come along. And a lot of those players that were playing when Abud uh, first took over are now playing for Italy in the six uh, Italy for uh, the Six Nations and for international duty and probably be there at the World Cup. So, you know, I think this is a great um, acquisition. He said in his press release, I am honoured to take up this role with Rugby Canada. I would like to thank CEO Nathan Brombis and the board for the confidence and support they have shown me. I would especially like to thank my new colleagues for their warm welcome and selfless assistance with my introduction over the last few weeks. From our initial conversation together, I'm convinced we have the determination and passion to further develop quality systems and pathways to make Canadians proud of their rugby and proud of the players who represent Rugby Canada. Abood will officially commence his role as the High Performance Director, which will focus on not only the men's and women's program, but the 15s and 7s as well. He will begin in June 2023. So a big name, a lot of history there. Uh, a lot of skill as well. I think um, he said, uh, I think it's on his LinkedIn profile. He has a quote, um, teaching, uh, coaching rugby is easy, but coaching it well is not so easy. Yeah, any, anything is easy. Um, doing doing things well is, is uh, comes in a little bit harder. Um, I I love this, um, this signing. This seems like um, it, um, Abud seems like the, exact type of person that or the at least the resume that's coming in seems like the exact type of thing rugby canada needs um you know high like his career highlights kind of including like um developing like the um irfu's academy program work with like the you know the italy's under 20s um it's it's on all honesty it's like his his expertise in the high performance area of rugby seems to be directly linked to probably the most important group of players in Canada right now, um, which is those, you know, under 20, under 18 level teams, those academy level teams, because these are going to be the, the players that are going to, you know, if rugby Canada is at a low point right now, these are going to be the guys that, um, you know, are going to be responsible for the rise back up the world rankings and the rise back up to prominence um, within world rugby for Rugby Canada, right? Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it, I think it kind of, the the move to me, it kind of ties back into a little bit of the conversation we had with Corey Hector last week um, when he was talking about being with, I can't remember if it was the U18 or U20 team, but he was with one of those teams um, when Canada lost to Chile and was officially um, eliminated from the World Cup. And, um, you know, the message that uh, the players in that that locker room and that the coaches were trying to, uh, you know, the, the coaches were sending was, you know, that they're going to be the players that, you know, fix this, basically. They're going to be the, you know, the players that get to, um, return rugby Canada to like that former, you know, the former glory that it once was being like, you know, um, like I said, it was just in 2011 that they were on the verge of being a top 10 nation in the world. Right. Um, and like restoring rugby Canada to that, it's a lot of that um, responsibility is going to come on the under 20 age group and stuff right now as they, mm-hmm older um as we look to maybe i guess probably build to that uh that world cup that's going to be in the united states in you know in uh just under a decade now um yeah so like i think like that's the most important age group right now that's the most important group that needs to be developed um so getting a full high performance director that kind of seems to specialize in that age group i think is a really good move um the other thing the the just surface level thing that i like about this too is that it, it, it's nice to see a tangible piece of evidence of Rugby Canada changing something. Um, yeah. It's been, you know, it's obviously, it's been a while. Obviously, the women's team has had some, has had success, um, but it's been a while since the men's team has failed to qualify for the World Cup. 
And, you know, uh, we've watched other teams, other nations that have failed to qualify for the World Cup after Canada, um, who were really swift and made very quick changes. Um, where Rugby Canada seems to be taking a little bit longer to go through that process. Um, but it's nice to see that you're bringing in somebody that is a high-performance director. And in, in all honesty, usually a thing that happens is like if you like you see it with other sports, when you bring in new GMs, new high-performance directors, directors of sport, whatever you want to call them in your the nomenclature of your organization, um, usually that means changes to staff follow because they take the time to evaluate that um, what's working, what's not working. And then they start to, you know, bring in their own guys and their own people and, um, you know, implement their own, start trying to implement and create their own culture and stuff. Right. So, um, you know, um, Nathan Bombry is making a big hiring for, you know, um, somebody in the position of a high performance director, um, I think I think just in general is a positive step. And I like the fact that the resume seems to be kind of geared toward what might be the most important um, generation of Canadian rugby players we have right now for all four of the, uh, you know, top level national teams. Yeah. So it was actually announced that uh, Rugby Canada released their annual report of what they've done over the year and in that report included a high performance review uh, appendix which basically said so they so they remember the high performance review originally came out March 2022 yeah so this appendix includes a May uh, May 2022 update and a March 2023 update and it was in this update that they mentioned the hiring of the um uh high performance director but there's other a few other things i just want to mention that have come out so uh the director of governance and regulations has been hired in january of 2023 there there has been a review of the high performance governance areas that's begun i don't think it's been I think it's still ongoing. A permanent HR manager was hired in November of 2022. That's good. Uh, the, yeah. Uh, membership revenue uses has been was reported back in December 2022. Yeah. Uh, saying 20 a lot of times. Um, and so the thing when it comes to the uh, high performance director uh, being distinct from other roles is that EPP Global was retained to conduct a global search back in December. Five um, candidates were shortlisted with interviews conducted in February. Uh, the candidate uh, was appointed subject to contracts back in March. So Stephen's been uh, basically known within the organization March and has had like three months to prepare be, to start in June. Um, other things in terms of strategy is that a men's pathway manager has been hired. A Maple Leaf Academy manager has been hired. Uh, the restart of women's and men's age grade rugby. And it also says further alignment work will be needed under the new high performance director. So for people who have been saying that, you know, they've just been looking, they've done the high performance review and they've just like left it to the side to, and been like, yeah, fine, whatever, who cares? There is actual um you know uh there is there's there's an actual record they're showing what the development is and you know i appreciate that it's you know a lot of these things say it's like still ongoing such as like getting the culture um established of what it means to be a high performance athlete um optim and when ending and even things like optimizing for shifting rugby Canada's geographical presence, that includes the uh, Pacific Four series games in Ottawa, uh, the Paris 2024 Olympic qualifier in Langford, and Langford's continued discussions with the future of the National Training Centre. Uh, the CEO is um, 
Nathan Bromvis has been engaging with Quebec, BC, Ontario, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Alberta uh, provincial rugby, uh, continuing to explore future events across the provinces, and discussions are open around potential of future regional training hubs. So, you know, obviously uh, the main focus here is that um, Stephen Aboud has been hired as a high performance director but if you do uh, get the chance to go and read that uh, rugby calendar annual report and the appendix you can see the changes that are being made remember uh, any that this high performance review wasn't just of the um the women's world cup or the men's um failure to qualify for the world cup in france it highlighted issues that have been prevalent in the organization for you know a long long time these things aren't going to be resolved in a year but the progress is being made and it's just a case of uh patience for those wanting to see change and the ability to you know be a part of the change when that opportunity arises right Okay, we're getting towards the end of the podcast now, and we have round 14 of Major League Rugby coming up. So the first game will be Toronto versus DC. Derek, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that you're not picking DC. No, I mean, whether we're talking like comic books or rugby, um, DC is usually second best. So it's... um. Uh... It comes but up. animated films that's a totally different oh that's a different that's a different conversation yeah that the animated yeah the uh, justice yeah. league cartoon is on netflix again now by the way so that's um that can get that's to- something you can watch while you're waiting for the rugby game yeah exactly. after after you finish listening to the podcast obviously no, you're right you're right there is there is one one realm where uh dc is triumphant but uh um, all right yeah, one with the okay all right. And, you know, after their performance uh, this past week, uh, you know, it's I think there's a lot to be said. And hopefully Toronto can get that uh, home win under their belt. Yeah. OK, next up, we have Atlanta versus Dallas. And yeah, you know, I think uh, Atlanta will be kicking themselves. They'll be out for revenge. I'm, I'm going to be picking Atlanta for this run. Yeah, same. Okay. All right, next up, we have Utah versus Houston. Uh, Utah currently in fourth in the West, Houston in third. Who do you have, Derek? Uh, You know what? I think it's a home game. Utah really needs this. This is a huge game for Utah. Um, So I'm going to go – I'm going to back Utah. I know that Utah needs us, but I also know that Houston are equally looking to secure – that playoff spot and they'll be wanting to have as wide a berth from Utah as possible. Hmm. So I'm going to go with Houston That's just a... so that we mix it up. It might be the biggest game of the week, actually. Yes. Yeah, well, it certainly seems uh, the closest anticipated yeah. because next up we have Seattle Seattle's versus Chicago, Seattle. It's Seattle. Why are we, we don't even need to talk about this one. Yeah. And the final game is new England versus Nola. And same, we don't need to talk about this. Yeah. one. All right, so there we have it. Those five games this weekend. Coming up first on Thursday is Toronto versus DC. And then on Saturday and Sunday, it is Atlanta versus Dallas, Utah versus Houston, Seattle versus Chicago, and New England versus NOLA. And you can watch the Arrows game on TSN, TSN TSN.ca, and TSN+. And you can watch those other MLR games on the Rugby Network. Uh, across the pond in Europe, we have the final round of the Men's World 7 Series that will be held in London. That is available on CBC and CBC Gem. And we also have the finals of the Champions and Challenge Cup, and that is available on epcrugby.tv. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out more as well as our written pieces on our website, therougerugby.ca. We will also find our podcast on Spotify, S4P, and Apple Podcasts. We also have a YouTube channel at The Rouge Rugby with episodes of the podcast as well as our black box interviews with players and coaches. Make sure to like and subscribe and hit the bell notification to stay up to date with all the videos. 
We are also available across social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all at The Rouge Rugby. But Derek, where can the fine people find you? Uh, at Preset the Jed across all social media platforms. And you can find me across social media at Hardman's Bar H4RDMAN. Well, that's where we're going to end this episode. Derek, thank you for joining me. And thank you all for joining us for another episode of La Rouge Rugby Podcast, where we focus on real Canadian rugby. We hope you can join us again next time.